Hi everyone, happy Columbus Day, or depending on where you live, happy Indigenous Peoples Day. A new study in the journal Nature Neuroscience has the scientific community talking and has implications for the way interventions for autism are delivered. Repetition of a stimulus is often used in people with autism to reinforce learning of a new skill. One problem with this is that individuals with autism sometimes acquire a new behavior or skill only in a specific context, but then they have difficulty transferring that learned skill or new information to a different context. Still though, repetition has been a mainstay of classical learning paradigms. The issue is with what is known as generalization, and I'll give you an example. So children with autism can be taught what a dog is by showing them a picture of a dog and repeating the word dog over and over. But then when they're shown a picture of another type of dog, that knowledge does not transfer and they have to learn all this information from scratch again. So learning what different types of dogs are in the context of learning the word dog is called generalization. And there have been issues with using repetition to teach generalization. But repetition is still used because, well, there was never any study to challenge it. This is a new study, however, and it shows that training individuals with autism to require new information by repeating the information or repetition actually harms their ability to apply that learned knowledge to other situations. So this is what they did to study it, and I'm going to summarize. So using a computer screen, high-functioning autism adults and those without autism were trained to find the location of three diagonal bars on a computer screen surrounded by a sea of horizontal lines. Both groups were asked to identify the diagonal bars during eight daily practice sessions, and their speed and accuracy were measured. Over the first four days, they got better and better. Good for them. Then on day five, the location of the bars changed. When they moved, the control group smoothly transitioned the learning to the new location of the diagonal bars, and their performance continued to improve. On the other hand, the individuals with autism performed poorly when this new target location was changed, and they weren't able to improve over time, indicating that they received no benefit from initially learning the first location. Even more interesting, they were never able to learn the second location as well as the first, demonstrating an interference in learning that may reflect the consequences of excessive or extensive repetition. So when I taught a class called Conditioning and Learning, I used this analogy. It was where you parked your car. If you usually park your car in the same place every day, you'd become accustomed to learning where it was. But then if one day you park someplace else, you kind of have to be flexible and remember where you parked. Otherwise, you'd never be able to find your car. In the case of autism, the learning became fixed and inflexible because the repetition to the first set of trials impaired their ability to learn the second task. But they didn't just leave it at that. In a different group of adults with and without autism, they ran the same exact experiment, but this time they inserted dummy screens that did not contain any diagonal bars. This time, when the location of the bars changed on that fifth day, the autism group efficiently learned the new location. In other words, breaks in this repetition allowed the people with autism to learn, but more importantly, generalize the task so they could learn something else quickly. So why is this important? As Matt Siegel, a psychiatrist at Tufts says, this is actually a direct contradiction to current approaches. Clinicians have been inadvertently helping people with autism stick to tasks in such a rigid way that they can't learn. And more importantly, it shows that through simple adaptation, learning can be improved. Tristan Smith from University of Rochester and one of the first scientists to study the effectiveness of ABA and ABA-type interventions pointed out, and I quote, 
Learning theorists have known since at least the 1940s that simple repetition is a poor teaching method, and ABA researchers are divided on whether to use repetition briefly for prompting and shaping new responses before going on to a random mix of trials, or to skip it altogether. In practice, however, repetition is used a lot in ABA programs, so I agree this article could have big impact, end quote. So now on to some better news. This has to do with unemployment and employment supports. So supported employment programs for job training are a must for people with autism. But until now, nobody has really examined the costs and benefits of these programs. They don't need to have a financial benefit to have a benefit on the person and the family. But unfortunately, as we've all seen many times, the people who count the beans need to see the data to justify the investment. A new study in PLOS 1, which is also open access, and I will post it on the ASF podcast site, looked at that, the financial impact of supported employment in individuals with autism, and they used models to determine the benefits in terms of dollars. They basically did a systematic review of all the articles out there on vocational training and job training and job coaching and employment in adults with autism and summarized their interpretation on the financial costs and benefits. So I'll give it to you in a nutshell. Remember, the people that are employed pay taxes on their wages, or at least the ones who are employed on the record do. People who received employment training and supported employment needed fewer benefits down the line, like government payments and full-time care. And in the end, these upfront costs of providing the supports and vocational services more than paid for themselves in terms of taxes paid on wages and savings on community supports for people that are not employed. It also should be noted that the costs of vocational support have reduced considerably over the years and can even be reduced further the more people are in these programs. Also, people with autism were the most costly to train as compared to things like traumatic brain injury. But this could easily be made up in terms of lost hours and productivity due to unemployment. This makes up a huge percentage of the cost of autism when the numbers of lost hours are calculated. People in supported employment also work more hours per week, which is good for the employer. So all of these things support the idea that Governments need to support supportive employment and vocational training in people with autism. I do want you to keep in mind that the researchers were in Australia and used a lot of models developed in the UK, so this may or may not apply to the US where the systems are, to put it a little bit lightly, a little different. And I don't need to mention that the psychological and sociological benefits of employing 50 to 70% of individuals with autism who are not employed are enormous. So I hope this was helpful and thanks for listening and I'll talk to you next Monday.